Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 to 13. Uh, This is the section on the temptation of Jesus Christ by the devil. If you'll stand with me, we'll read these verses together. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned uh, from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I want to stop right there and and, uh, just point out remember the emphasis on the spirit uh, he was the spirit came down upon him in the last last week's passage remember that and so now he's continuing in the spirit uh, verse number uh, two for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days and when they were ended he was hungry imagine that the devil said to him if you are the son of god command this stone to become bread and jesus answered him it is written man shall not live by bread alone And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, uh, You shall not put your Lord God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage and uh, the, the, uh, the outcome, Lord, and I pray that uh, you'll help us as we look at this to just be in awe of Jesus Christ and worship him. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. Really, for the last three chapters, Luke has been introducing the uh, person of Jesus Christ. And it ended with the heavens opening up and the announcement, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That, that's the ending. Once it was done, Jesus embarked upon his mission. And his mission was to storm the gates of hell. He came to destroy the devil, to release people from their bondage to sin and death, and to begin the establishment of his kingdom on earth. And that's what, that's what we just read about today. And so in order to do that, Jesus must take it straight to the devil. And so the Bible says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Notice something. Jesus is being led by the Spirit. But he wasn't taken to some palace. He wasn't taken to some city center of power or any other place of ease. Rather, he was led into a wilderness for trials and temptations. Uh, let me just give you an idea of what we're talking about. The, the, um, the tradition says that uh, it was in the wilderness of Judea. This is the wilderness of Judea. This is roughly um, 10 miles outside of Jerusalem. And you see how barren it is. These, these hills are massive hills, and then there's a little, um, 
uh, wadi that runs through here, and you see some trees, I'll just zoom in so you have an idea how huge the hills are. This is the area that Jesus stayed in for 40 days and 40 nights. Not, not these trees, by the way. I'm talking about the wilderness in general because the Bible says that he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But what this shows us is that trials and temptations are part of God's plan. Notice Luke's language very carefully. I just said it, but I'll say it again. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness and not just to the wilderness. So the Spirit was guiding him throughout this time of testing. Jesus uh, fought the devil in the power of the Spirit. And already here, we see an, an important lesson for our own daily Christian experience. If, if Jesus followed the, uh, the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, so should we, trusting that even our trials and temptations are under the Spirit's sovereign control. Because they are, aren't they? There's literally nothing that comes in your way that was not ordained by the Holy Spirit. And we are all being led by the Spirit. Then the place where the Spirit led him was also important because he was being led into the Spirit, uh, I'm sorry, into the wilderness by the Spirit. And this is very similar to um, where Moses said, if you remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might tempt you and hum or humble you, testing you to see what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The, the, the passage in Luke is almost identical to Deuteronomy chapter number 8. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses is summarizing that God led the children of Israel into the wilderness to test them. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested as well. And so it's, it's, it's um, very uh, similar. The wilderness reminds us also that the lost condition of fallen humanity. We are all in the wilderness, spiritually speaking. And th this is the unhappy result of our fall into sin. The first man faced temptation in the garden, and when he sinned, our entire race was cast out. To bring us back, therefore, Jesus had to go out into the wilderness and defeat the devil who first tempted us to sin. And so there's a spiritual analogy going on here. By giving in to the temptation, the first Adam banished all of us in the wilderness. But by going out and resisting temptation, the last Adam is bringing us back to paradise. Isn't that wonderful? This temptation in the wilderness is critically important. Critically important. I can't emphasize that enough. Think about this. If he failed when he, when he confronted the devil, then Jesus would be condemned as a sinner, wouldn't he? There would be no justifying righteousness. There would be no atoning sacrifice. There would be no bodily resurrection. And there would be no hope of eternal life. Paradise would be lost forever, wouldn't it? What the devil offered him in the wilderness was the essence of all the, the temptations that he would later face. All the things that would try to distract him from being the Savior that God called him to be. And if Jesus withstood these trials, he could withstand anything. Now, one more thing. 
it is popular to teach that these three, three temptations mimic uh, John two, First John two sixteen, which is very familiar to all of us, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But these temptations were a frontal assault on the sonship of Jesus Christ. At his baptism, God declared him the Son of God. And so Satan used those very words, didn't he? Against Jesus Christ. This is an attack on his deity. And so let's look at the three temptations that were provided him. Uh, verse number two. The first temptation is to trust God's uh, is the trusting of the provision of God. Verse number two says, For forty days being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, here it is. If you're the Son of God, and without getting into the weeds, in the original language, there's a, something called a first-class conditional. And first-class conditional, the language says, if you are the Son of God, implication is, you are the Son of God. Um, command this stone to become bread. So you could actually read this if you wanted to, since you are the Son of God. Command these stones to be turned to bread. Now you can imagine what it would be like not eating for six weeks. A lot of us, if we don't eat for six hours, we're already hangry, right? But six weeks, people have fasted that long, and I've never done that kind of a fast. Some of you may have. Testify that, that after days of gnawing hunger, they, they begin to experience a euphoric release from their appetite for food, but that's only temporary. And in the weeks to follow, the, the body becomes desperate in its craving, and it's, it was just at this moment that Satan came and tempted Jesus to fix the situation. Now here's a question. Did Jesus have the power to do so? He did. He had the power to do so. It would only take a split second to turn stones into food. Remember that Jesus had an actual physical body, a human body, meaning that this temptation was not theoretical. This is a very real temptation. The physical temptation must have been great. But the more critical part of this is the spiritual dimension to the temptation. He said, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, it seems a simple thing, doesn't it? But those who, whose plan was for him to spend time in the wilderness with no food... It was the Father's plan to, um, uh, and the, it was the Father's plan, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And this takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse number three. Look at what it says on the screen behind me. It says, "He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God." And so this is the verse that Jesus quoted and, and Satan was trying to raise suspicion about the Father's declaration that Jesus was his only beloved Son. The logic goes like this. Well, if you are the Son of God, then surely God doesn't want you to die out here in the wilderness. You haven't had food in 40 days. Satan was tempting him, as he often tempts us, to be impatient 
every time we drive in Northern Virginia, we're, we're tempted with our patience, aren't we? We are tempted with patience many times, and we're tempted to get ahead of God's timetable, to meet our own needs, and, um, and, and get our own way rather than to uh, wait for God to provide for whatever it is. There, but there's something else. Jesus was also identifying himself as a human being. It was, it was as a man that he withstood the, the temptation of the devil. Jesus was not God masquerading as a man. It was not a divine mind trapped in a human body. He was fully human with a human brain, a human body. Thus, it was in his humanity that he withstood the wiles of the devil. And we need to see this because usually we think that it was easy for Jesus to resist the temptation. He was God after all. Don't we think that? Yet the Bible says that Jesus was made in our human nature, that he was fully man, and that therefore in every respect he was tempted just like we are. So you have no excuse for being hangry anymore. <laughs> of course, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is where we should live as well. If, if God said it, then we believe it. There are going to be times when life is hard, when life is not going as we plan, when, when pain is very severe, and we're tempted to doubt the goodness of God and His love for us. But God sometimes leads us into the wilderness. And it's not because He lacks love for us. He loves us. It's actually because He loves us that He does that. And He doesn't take the pain away. Remember uh, the Lazarus. When Lazarus died and the news got to Jesus, the Bible says Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and so he stayed four extra days. Remember that? Is that what we would do? So he, he, did, not, he did not allow them to circumvent the pain, but he was waiting four days so that he could go and do something even greater. Now, the even greater thing that God does in our life, most of the time, we probably will not see on this side of eternity. It's going to be what He does inside of us and what He does to glorify Himself through us. And so, no physical craving um, ever led Him from the path of obedience. And when we hit these times, we must trust God and trust His provision for us. Jesus didn't gratify his own desires, but rather subordinated his needs to the, the, to the will of the Father. These are hard things to do, aren't they? Well, there's a second temptation, and that was to have the crown without suffering. To have the crown without suffering. Having failed in the first temptation, Satan tries the second one. This is the temptation to power. Look at what it says. Verse number five, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all of this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be 
yours. My, what a temptation that is. Whether in body or in spirit, we don't know. The devil took Jesus to some lofty height. I mean, there's not a mountain high enough to see all the kingdoms of the world. Um, uh, Matthew uses the term mountain. Um, I won't go there. Well, I've got to now. I just trapped myself. Matthew, in Matthew many times, the, the term, mountain terminology is pointing towards heaven or the heavenly areas, okay? But, uh, so anyway, he took him either in a vision or physically, and in an instant, he saw, he could see all the royal treasure, all the military power, the culture achievements of the world's great civilizations, everything from the golden rooftop of the temple in Jerusalem to the mighty Roman Empire and their capital in, in Rome in all of its proud splendor. And Jesus could see the gates of all the great cities swing wide open for uh, him as their king. And Satan told Jesus, these kingdoms were his to give. Was Satan telling the truth? Did he really have the authority to offer Jesus the, whole, the world? Well, he is called the ruler of this world, isn't he? The God of this world. But even then, and this is what we have to remember, at, when he is the God of this world, it is only by God's permission that he's God of the world. So, is he telling the truth? Yes and no. It's probably a half-truth. Right? But still, it had to be a strong temptation. God's way was for Jesus to suffer and die for sinners, and only then to receive the kingdom. But Satan offered it to Jesus on the spot. He could have the ecstasy without the agony. He could have the glory without the suffering. The kingdoms of this world could become the kingdom of Christ without scorn, without scourging, the spitting, the bloody crucifixion, Satan was tempting Jesus to seize the crown without the suffering of the cross. All Jesus had to do was worship the devil. The kingdoms could be his in one quick bow of the knee. And he would have the world at his feet. Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut he could bypass Calvary and go straight to glory. So what was the temptation? What was the temptation? The temptation then was to exchange the everlasting kingdom for a lesser kingdom, for a temporal one. Had he done that, he would never have solved the problem of our sin, would he? Worst of all, Satan would have become his lord. And that was the devil's ambition from the beginning when he was cast out of heaven, wasn't it? He wanted the glory. He wanted to be Lord. He wanted to rule. But Jesus answered immediately. Once again, he quoted scripture. He said, As the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Once again, he, he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter number 6. It was, it was wrong to worship anybody but the Lord. And by rejecting, Je by rejecting, Jesus was rejecting the popular path of worldly power. People the world over 
reject God and worship something other than God, don't they? And they do that so they can attain their dream, their goals, whatever they happen to be, their time in the limelight, or, or whatever their ambition happens to be. And people do it all the time. We see it all over the place. People sacrificing their integrity, deciding that the delayed gratification of heaven is not worth it. But by being willing to suffer and die for our sins, Jesus received a kingdom that is eternal. And by denying ourselves, we prove that we are worthy to be part of that kingdom, don't we? Jesus said, whoever denies himself. Now, we don't get to heaven by self-denial. Our self-denial shows, us, shows the world that we are on our way to heaven. It's the fruit, not the root. Now, there's a third temptation, and that is putting God to the test. Putting God to the test. All right, so, you know, Satan... When, when I read this, do you know what I think of? I think of Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. And the boxes that came from Acme, whatever. Remember that? So the first two temptations did not work. Jesus had refused to use his divine power to satisfy his actual physical need. He, would re he had rejected the offer of an easy kingdom. So for the next temptation, Satan chose to tempt him regarding God's word. So the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Verse number 10, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now, scholars debate whether this is private or public. But Satan took him to somewhere in the temple complex. And I want to show you this. It was either the pinnacle of the temple sanctuary, which is right here in this diagram. That pinnacle, um, nobody knows for sure, but if you take Josephus' words for it, the historian, that was 90 feet above the ground there. Okay, It was either there or it was the corner here. This is called Solomon's Portico. To give you an idea of scale, this is 912 feet long. And this pinnacle right here overlooks what's called the Kidron Valley, 450 feet below. Matter of fact, James the Just, who that's what they call the brother of Jesus, uh, they, they threw him off of that to kill him. But it was a spectacular feat that Satan was tempting him with. And he challenged Jesus to throw himself to God's mercy. If Jesus jumped, then surely the Father would save him, right? Because he had a mission to do. He, he's not going to short-circuit his death because, because he was going to die on the cross and the Father's going to save him. If Jesus jumped, surely that's what would happen. After all, that was the promise from the Psalms. This is, this is a quotation from Psalm 91, 11 and 12, where God would save his Messiah. And we see the promise to the Messiah. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, 
lest you strike your foot against the stone. That's the Word of God. That's the protection being offered to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. So what is the, what is the test here? What is the test? It's a private test of God's faithful protection. But, but Jesus didn't need to presume upon the Father's protection. The, the Father promised protection, and that was good enough. He refused the request, and the Father rebuked Satan with Scripture. Or, I'm sorry, uh, the, the Son rebuked Satan with Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verse number 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Now, it's interesting, I don't know if you've noticed this, but every time Jesus quotes Scripture, it's from Deuteronomy. And the reason, one of the reasons for that is that Jesus is the perfect Israel. Israel failed in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness, and he passes. If Jesus had jumped, presumably the Father would have been compelled to save him. But what's the problem with that? The problem is that that inverts the proper order of things. Because Jesus, the Son, came to do the Father's will, right? He said that repeatedly. I came to do the Father's will, not the other way around. And so to jump off the temple would have been to take the initiative and force God into a situation where he would have no choice but to back up the action in order to avert disaster or else be accused of unfaithfulness. And he did not do that. And this would have been to reverse the role of man and God and the Son of God and the Father. It reverses the role here. But you know what? The day, the day came when Jesus did put his life in the Father's hands, didn't he? It came on a good Friday when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But at that time, it was in obedience to God's will and not to pull some kind of stunt, some daredevil stunt or something. The day also came when the Father proved to Jesus and to everyone else that Jesus was the Son of God. When did that happen? That happened on on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. When God raised Jesus from the dead, He didn't save His Son from death, but rather through Him, brought through death into everlasting life. And Jesus was willing to wait for all this rather than jumping ahead. He trusted the Father to prove his sonship and at the right and proper time, waiting for the confirmation of the resurrection. Well, how does it end? Verse number 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time well, we know the rest of the story, and, we, and Luke is shadowing it here, that the struggle was not over. And it would not be over until they had a battle till the death. But for the time being, Jesus triumphed, resisting and refusing every temptation. What Satan intended as temptation actually turned out to be a test or a trial that proved the innocence of Jesus Christ. And from his example, we learn how to stand firm against the devil schemes, don't we? 
For Satan tempts us in many of the same ways he tempted Jesus. For example, we are tempted to doubt the goodness of God and, fatherly, and his fatherly care for our physical desires, and we put our physical desires ahead of our obedience to God. Have you ever done that? It got awful quiet in here. Satan wants us to gratify ourselves with food, with sex and entertainment, rather than to make costly sacrifices of our time, our money, and strength for the kingdom of God. What, kingdom, what comforts are you giving up for the, for the advance of the gospel? What compromises with pleasure are sapping your holy strength to glorify God? It's a common temptation, isn't it? So we are tempted to seek earthly glory and gain rather than suffer for the cause of Christ. We, we want to have what we think we deserve the way we can, we can get it. And so Satan tempts us to take the easy way out, even if it means bowing to his wicked will. What are you working to get without waiting for God to give you? And then we face temptation to put God to the test. You know, does the Father really love us? Will he really care for us? Instead of simply taking God at his word, we want him to prove it. If you love me, God, you will X. And so Satan tempts us to base our attitude towards God on our personal experience rather than the promises of God's word. If God loves me, I would not be in this situation. We make our comfort and safety a measure of God's love. We live by sight and not by faith. If life is good, we think of God as good. But if, if we can come to any harm, we immediately question God's motives. What, what demands are you placing on God before you will trust His plan or even before you will accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? If it is true that God tempts us in the same ways that He tempted Jesus, then Jesus also shows us how to resist, doesn't He? Remember that Jesus faced these temptations in the weakness of his humanity. Furthermore, he didn't draw any weapons that we do not have at our disposal. He defeated the devil by welding the sword of the Spirit. By resisting temptation by the power of God's word. Jesus was able to do this because he knew the Bible word for word. He had it memorized. Now, I'm not calling you to memorize the whole Old Testament. But this does show us the importance of, of being in the Word, working to obey the Word and memorize the Word. It's the Bible that teaches us not to live for pleasure, but by every word that comes from God. It is the Bible that teaches us to worship God alone. And it is the Bible that teaches us not to put God to the test. If we want to stand firm against the devil... We need to know and to do what God says in His Word, don't we? But I want to close with this short. As, as all this is true, what I just said, and as useful as this is for us to resist temptation, did you know that's not the main point of this passage? The main point of this passage is not to show you how to resist temptation. The main point is that Jesus stood alone 
against Satan as the Son of God and resisted temptations that he alone could face and endure. And it is only because Jesus stood firm in the wilderness that he was able to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice and die on the cross and save us from our sins. And it was only because Jesus resisted first that we ever resist temptation at all. Amen? Wonderful passage. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for your uh, resisting of temptation, your perfection, that you proved yourself the Son of God by never giving in to that temptation. And then, Lord, we thank you that you gave us practical um, demonstration of how to resist uh, sin. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be greater in our appreciation for what Christ has done. In his name we pray. Amen.